very uh, happy indeed to have Dr. Sarah Tursi and Dr. Raghu Mamrera at the University of Chicago talking to us about pro-inflammatory signaling in B cells, beta cells, that, uh, and how it triggers islet autoimmunity, a subject near and dear to our hearts here as we focus on type 1 diabetes science. So just a quick bio about the two of them. Um, Dr. Tersey, she's a research associate professor at the University of Chicago. She's an islet biologist whose research focuses on the role of the B cell or beta cell in the development of type one and type two diabetes. Primary goal of her research focuses on understanding the molecular pathways that play a role in the development of diabetes. Dr. Mirmira is an international leader in type one diabetes research. He's a professor of medicine at the University of Chicago. His research program over the past 10 years has centered uh, directly on the biology of islets as it relates to islet development, growth, maintenance, and survival. His laboratory is really interested in three key areas, the role of mRNA translation in the cellular response of islet beta cells to inflammation. Secondly, the role of lipooxygenases in the dysfunction of beta cells in type one and type two diabetes. And thirdly, the identification of biomarkers of beta cell stress and death in diabetes. Welcome to you both. Um, it's a pleasure to have you. Thank you. Um, so Hi. do you wanna dive right in to that, to your slides and? Yes, uh, so I'm gonna go ahead and talk about some of our data and then Raghu will lead a discussion afterwards. Fantastic. So we, we set it up. That sounds great. Okay, so since we're gonna have a discussion afterwards, I thought I would start with um, introducing some of our team. So the study, that we um, did was led by a postdoc that was in our lab when we were at uh, Indiana University. Her name is Annie Pineras, um, and she led most of these studies. And then we had a bunch of members in our laboratory, both at, I, when we were at Indiana University, as well as our members at University of Chicago. And um, it was co-led by me and Raghu. And then we had a couple of postdocs, Abhishek and uh, graduate student Andy and some senior scientists, Faye. So you'll see some of the work as we go along. We're funded um, both by the HERN and NIDDK. Um, we got islets from both the um, Integrated Islet Distribution Program, the IIDP, as well as the Alberta Diabetes Institute. Um, so with that. Okay, I like that. In, uh, introducing the talent first. Excellent. Yes, I want to make sure that we get them covered. They're the important parts, right? Yeah. So um, <laughs> during type 1 di diabetes, beta cell mass and function are diminished due to autoimmunity that leads to an insufficient insulin secretion and hyperglycemia. Our lab has um, been focused on the role of beta cell during this time and what happens. So the current hypothesis suggests that beta cells first get exposed to an unknown environmental trigger, which leads to inflammation. The beta cells then exhibit activation of the unfolded protein res uh, response followed by ER stress and oxidative stress. You get beta cell dysfunction and ultimately beta cell death. This then results in um, release of antigens and neoantigens, um, which lead to immune invasion and attack and further propagates the cycle. So it's a, this big cycle that goes around um, and ultimately ends up with type, uh, type 1 diabetes and basically very few beta cells that are producing insulin. So one of the, the enzymes that we study and something we've been studying for the past uh, 15 years that, that both Argue and I have been working together um, is an enzyme called 1215 lipogenase. Um, and what we have shown over the course of the years, I'm just a very brief background into it, and then we'll develop into the, our new stuff, is that uh, 1215 lipogenase is increased during inflammation in islet beta cells. Um, and we've seen this um, 
over several different types of stressors, but also in individuals with type 1 diabetes. And this is looking at pancreas sections, and you see an increase in the beta cells shown here in green. There's an increase of 12-15 lipoxygenase. Um, we also see this increase in autoantibody positive folks that are at risk for type 1 diabetes. What happens is inflammation leads to this increase of 12-15 lipoxygenase. 12-15 lipoxygenase takes arachidonic acid and converts it into 12-P. And 12-P is a bad guy. It is involved in the production of uh, chemokines, it generates oxidative stress, and it promotes this pro-inflammatory state that then leads to beta cell dysfunction that I was talking about in the first slide. Uh, 12-P itself has been shown to be upregulated in individuals with new type 1 diabetes. So as the, the disease is happening um, and it's progressing rapidly, you see this increase in 12-P in, in the serum of individuals. We see it, so we see an increase in the beta cells of the enzyme and then it's product 12-P is being seen in the serum and surrounding tissues. 12-15 lipoxygenase, I won't show here, but it, it's produced in both the beta cells and the macrophages. Um, and so the first thing we did and we published, and it was it was um, shown in a previous uh, presentation with you guys by Abhishek Kulkarni, one of our past postdocs, that in macrophages, 12-15, if we knock down 12-15 lipoxygenase in macrophages, we see a prevention of diabetes. Um, so let me show really quickly that one. So we took ALAX-15 flux mice, we crossed them to lysa M3 mac, uh, macrophage-specific mice in order to generate uh, myeloid-specific ALAX-15 knockouts. So these are have no 12-15 lipoxygenase in primarily the macrophage, which is where it's expressed. It's also in other myeloid cells, but ALAX-15 is not expressed there. So we consider it a macrophage-specific knockout. And these were backcrossed onto the NOD, which is what we'll be talking about today, which um, is a model for type 1 diabetes because they develop autoimmune diabetes over the course of their life, lifetime. And so what we saw is that when we look at the macrophage specific knockout and look at diabetes incidence, our control mice all develop diabetes at a normal consistent rate for NOD mice, which here in females is 75 to 80%. And in our um, knockout mice, we see this nice protection up here so that knocking out it in the macrophage shows protection. But what we really want to know is what happens when 1215 is knocked out in the beta cell and how does the beta cell contribute to its own pathogenesis of type one diabetes, right? Um, and so we're really asking the question of how do we get from this step of a beta cell to this step of the beta cell and how much of that is played by the beta cell and how much of that is played by other immune cells, including macrophages, but also T cells and B cells and, um, this, yeah, All the other ones the that, critical, cells that can go in. The critical question, what, yes. you know, is it, is it murder or suicide or both? Yes. And so of course we are interested in, in the beta cell. So we're taking it on, we did the macrophage because it was interesting and cool, but we care more about the beta cell and we want to know how the beta cell plays a role in this, right? So in order to do this, we took a lapse of team fox mouse and we crossed it to a beta cell specific Cree in order to generate a beta cell knockout. Um, and so that we can eliminate one, only one factor just in the beta cell and see what happens, right? So these mice were PDXPB Cree ER mice, so they're inducible. And so what happens is that during development, 1215 LOX is present. And then at six weeks of age, right when the inflammation is coming, right when the beta cells are undergoing ER stress in the NRD mice, 
we knock out aloxacine, we eliminate that pro-inflammatory marker, and then we are pro-inflammatory signal, and we see what happens to these mice. So now we have what we call the delta beta mice. So these are beta cell specific alox 15 knockout mice that were inducible by tamoxifen. Um, and you can see here that after tamoxifen induction, so this is a, um, we do tamoxifen induction at six weeks, and then we studied the mice at eight weeks, and then again at 12 weeks. But within, by eight weeks, so within two weeks after starting tamoxifen treatment, we see a nice reduction of alox 15 in these mice. Excitingly, what we saw was a decrease in diabetes incidence, almost to the point of nothing. So our, our control mice here um, and the females have nice diabetes incidence. This is what we hope and expect to see. Um, our males have extremely nice diabetes incidence. So in NOD mice, males have a much reduced level of diabetes incidence, but here we got 50%. And our, our knockout males were completely protected. Our females were almost completely protected from this. And again, this is just a beta cell knockout. So we haven't changed anything to the immune cells that would be inducing this autoimmune phenotype. So they're still there, they're still rampant, they're still coming in, and the beta cell, just eliminating 12 heat from the beta cell, is able to protect against type 1 diabetes in these mice. Yeah, that's a it's a really elegant, beautiful paper. Thank you. And so um, we had a lot of data in this paper that I don't have time to talk about. So I picked out the key ones, and then we're going to focus on one of them here very soon. But what we saw uh, is at eight weeks, there was not much, many changes, right? That's very close. So we're going to focus on that time frame later. But by 12 weeks of age, so six weeks after we, we knock out the gene, we see a preservation in beta cell mass um, and a decrease of insulitis. You can see here the islets look healthy. They're robust. When we look at them by um, RNA sequencing, so we did single cell RNA sequencing. Um, actually, let me go back. But these islets looked healthy, there's more of them, they're overall in general, and that then leads to this improved uh, diabetes incidence, right? These islets produce insulin, they respond normally. So what we did, so at 12 weeks, and then we also saw way reduced less immune cells. So they're no longer coming in and attacking the beta cell. But when we look at eight weeks of age, right after the knockout, we still have immune cells, we still have a normal beta cell mass. And so we focused on that time frame. And what we did is to start with is some single cell RNA sequencing um, of the islets. So we took the islets and we did single cell RNA sequencing at eight weeks. And what we saw were some changes that showed that the islets were healthier. They had enhanced beta cell function and survival, as well as genes that are related to the antioxidants response. So in the very beginning, I mentioned that 12, 15 locks plays a role in oxidative, and oxidative stress primarily. And so we're seeing that here. So these guys have reduced oxidative stress. In general, they're, they're, they're healthier. Um, and specifically, and their immune cells, so we also saw immune cells during this time and they're still there. They're, they're, um, they look like a, a control animal. So it's just the islet that we're looking at. Um, what we found, which was really curious to us, wasn't that the islet was healthier, but they're expressing something called PDL1. Um, and I'll talk about what that is, but you can see here in single cell RNA sequencing, specifically in this is all the beta cells that we saw here. So this is five different clusters of beta cells, but specifically in this cluster, there's this nice increase of PDL1. Um, and you can see that quantified here. And then when we look at it by immunofluorescence, 
Um, and actually at the pancreas, you can see a nice increase of the pink, which is PDL1, in the green beta cells. Um, and so that's quantified here as well. So PDL1 is an immune checkpoint protein that that mediates T cell tolerance and autoimmunity. And so when you don't have PDL1, you get uh, um, T cell differentiation and they become inflammatory. And when you do express PDL1, it binds to PD1 on these T cells and you get T regulatory development. And so you get promotion of the anti inflammatory uh, T cells. So we found this really, really interesting and it's showing us that the beta cell is acting as a signal to these T cells to say, hey, stop attacking me. I'm protect me, bring on some T-regulatory uh, cells. And then what we saw then was a development of T-regulatory cells. So that was uh, pretty cool. Um, to well, study this- I, For one second, could I have a qualification? Yeah. You saw the development of the T-regs right at the site of the um, of the islet inflammation of the insulitis or was it in the adjacent lymph node? Sorry, I missed that. Both. Okay. Both. So I, I have some, Data later on, we can show later if we want to, but we saw it both by flow of pancreatic lymph nodes and in the spleen, as well as in our single cell islet data. Um, so in the immune cells that came out attached to the islet, we saw an increase of T-regulatory cells. Mm -hmm. And then we also did Cytoph looking at the pancreas um, and Cytoph showed, um, is looking at, is the way to look at single cell immune cells. And yeah. we saw an increase of pdl one in the, endocrine cells and the, the non-immune cells. So we pretty much saw PDL1 by increased by always and then T regulatory cells and all the different from from the pancreas lymph nodes to with floating around within the pancreas as well as in the spleen with no really other changes at that point. So it was just a slight increase of T regulatory cells happening within that week of deletion time that yeah, we yeah. have. Fantastic. Um, so Thank you. And, the, and then, so that then led at 12 weeks to almost a complete suppression of immune cells, right? So very little changes at eight weeks, but an increase of T regulatory cells, and then leading to all the immune cells disappearing, basically. Right. Yeah. No, that's, um, so that's, that's great. Thank you. You're welcome. So um, to study PDL1 a little bit further and see if that's really what was going on, we then injected our with PDL1 our uh, um, anti-IgG as a control and to see if reverse for protection. And what we saw was that within a week, so moxifenin treatment, and then we treated with anti-PDL1 and within the week, the mice were already becoming diabetic. Um, and so these mice should have been protected out for 20, 25, 30 weeks. They became diabetic within a week. Um, and that resulted in almost a complete loss of beta cells. Um, and those cells, those uh, beta cells and islets that were still there were, were surrounded by incredible amounts of immune cells and insulitis that we saw. Um, you can see here, these are really the few islets that we found in all three of the animals. And so mice is always good and great. We, we study mice, we, we like to do that. You know, it allows us to knock out genes, but um, in order to make this a little bit more um, medically uh, relevant and translate the research. We start, we looked at some human islet studies, um, or we use some human islets to do some studies. And what we have is an inhibitor against um, 1215 lipogenase. Uh, here it's called ML355, um, and it's specific to human. So we can't treat it in these mice, but we can treat human islets. And <clears throat> what happens, and as has been defined, is that cytokines will, um, which are inflammatory 
signal that we use to mimic um, type 1 diabetes in vitro. So we added cytokines. And what we saw was an, a slight elevation in PDL1. Um, so they're trying to protect themselves. But when we give ML355 and we block 1215 lipoxygenase, we see it, um, about a two and a half fold increase of PDL1 over that, showing us that the same thing is happening in human islets um, that we see in these in our mouse islets as well. To understand a little bit more what was going on, we took human islets. Um, this is actually data that was already published, but then we did additional analysis on it. And so these human islets um, were treated with and without cytokines. And then we looked for alternative spliced RNA transcripts um, to pull out different pathways that may, may be being affected by these cytokines and this inflammation that we see um, that's relevant to type 1 diabetes. And what that revealed was pathways related to protein transport processing and antigen presentation. And these findings are consistent with stress pathways, and one of them being the integrated stress response. So the integrated stress response um, activates um, upon the production of unfolded misfolded proteins, which we see in type 1 diabetes, because as the as islets try to produce more insulin to compensate from them dying, they start producing too many and they can't overcome that process. And so you get this activation of the unfolded protein response. What we found is an increase of PERC, which leads to the integrated stress response, which is, um, leads to the phosphorylation of EIF2 um, alpha, which leads to a global translational block and stress granule formation. And this is to, they block translation to try and help relieve this unfolded protein stress. Right? And so what we looked at is if we block ISR, the integrated stress response in these human islets after cytokine treatment, do we see the same increase in PDL1? And what we found is yes. So we use um, an inhibitor called ISRIP, so the integrated stress response inhibitor. Um, and it helps to um, alleviate the phosphorylation of um, what happens when you phosphorylate EIF2 alpha. And we saw the same, almost exactly the same increase of PDL1 that we see when we block with 12 inhibitor. And so we went one step further and looked to see if our ISR was alleviated in our NOD mice, in our beta, beta NOD mice. And what we saw was that there was a reduced uh, phosphoreif 2 alpha, which is the step here. And then also a decrease of G3BBQ1, which is the stress granule formation. Um, so both responses, it looks like are the, the beta, the 1215 lipoxygenase leads to an increase of integrated stress response, which then leads to not being able to increase PDL1 as much as they need to in order to protect themselves from diabetes. And by blocking, just blocking that one enzyme in the beta cell, we can help to alleviate the integrated stress response and help these beta cells, one, protect themselves and then stay functional and, and live. Our question, right, was what is the contribution of the beta cell to the pathogenesis of type one autoimmunity? We saw this in the beginning. And we really think of our data, plus some of the other papers that have recently come out. And um, going back for the last about 10 years, we've been really studying, focusing on the beta cell, is that when the beta cells have a stressor, um, unknown at this time, but that leads to something like the integrated stress response. So with less environmental, viral, um, there's a bunch of triggers that we think that can lead to this. Then you get dysfunctional and dying beta cells 
which then leads to an autoimmune impact. And then further propagates the system by producing more cytokines, more things that make beta cells dysfunctional. Coming back to where 1215 lipogenase is in the beta cell, <coughs> we're seeing that that inflammation is causing this increase of 1215 lipogenase, causing an increase of 12 heat and the production of chemokines, generation oxidation, and promote pro-inflammatory stress. Yeah, running out of time. So one of the things that we're asking is how and where does 12 heat act? Um, and there is a receptor for it called GPR31. Um, we have made the floxed mice. And so we have a whole body knockout. We have beta cell specific knockout. And then we have a uh, macrophage specific knockout. And really quick, and we can talk about this. So in our whole beta knockout, um, if we look at ALOX15, they're perfectly normal. GPR31 knockout mice are perfectly normal under normal conditions. And so just the gene itself in a normal individual or a mouse does not do anything. Um, but when we do something like STZ, so here we traded with STZ for five days, um, which goes in and stimulates, it's sort of a model for type 1 diabetes. It, it starts to kill off some beta cells, which then causes more dysfunction and more an immune cell attack, and you get um, more and more beta cells killed. Um, and then we followed them out in the ALAX-15 knockout mice, so these are whole body knockout mice, we see a nice protection against this STZ uh, induced, just like we saw with the NOD mice. And in the GPR-31 knockout mice, we see the same thing. So we are testing the, the phenotype that GPR-31 is actually the receptor for 12 heat in beta cells as well as in other tissues. Um, and one of the other things we did, so I showed you this, before it was human islets. So these are mouse islets treated with and without cytokines in the knockout. And we see the same genes popping up that are being regulated by uh, 12-15 lipogenase as being regulated by the GPR31. Um, so we really think we have a receptor here and which leads us to some questions about how this 12, and may, hopefully some answers about how 12 heat is acting and can we follow some of these pathways to try and prevent type 1 diabetes. Um, so I'm going to, turn it over to Regu so he can discuss some of our questions in our remaining um, few minutes and go from there. Yeah, I mean, don't feel free. I mean, don't feel, you know, constrained. We sometimes do go over if people are asking questions and if there's a little more to talk about. So don't feel any pressure on that um, front because this is such an incredibly important um, data set and so interesting as well. I wanted to ask you before we shift to, or to both of you, you know, how, how can this data, you know, fit with the sort of like insult remission model that, you know, is thought to happen during the prodrome? Yeah, so that's a great question. I mean, uh, you know, what we, what we really don't know, I mean, so you're referring more to sort of the way we look at human type 1 diabetes. Exactly. Days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, with the concept that you know, it's really maybe more waxing and waning, waning immunity, right? In the, in the period prior to overt type one diabetes. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a great question. You know, one of the things that, you know, the way I like to look at it, honestly, is, you know, if you look at our single cell sequencing or anybody else's out there in the literature, you, you find different states of beta cells, whether they're mm -hmm. states or whether they're different kinds of beta cells, who really knows because we're just looking at a point in time. Right. But that said, yeah. uh, I, I think what happens and the way to kind of think about disease and you know and the waxing and waning 
insults that are happening to beta cells is that you know the the most susceptible beta cells go first and, and I, I you know it could very well be that the most susceptible beta cells are the most functional beta cells they're the ones that are really focused on producing insulin they're the ones that are really sort of regulating glucose homeostasis and so they don't have a lot of other machinery to think about you know resisting um you know these insults and yeah, so and I mean, I think like the Benninger group has brought up in, in previous podcasts that uh, Richard Benninger's group that, um, you know, that there's a, the potential for a pacemaker type cell, yeah, beta yeah, cell yeah. or cells that might be working hard uh, to really set the tone, right, of yes, basal insulin secretion. That's that's exactly right. That's exactly right. So, you know, if if you start losing those cells, you start knocking them off you know, what are you left with? You're left with more dysfunctional cells that may actually be the cells that are resistant to immunity, right? I mean, we know from a lot of data that have been recently published that there are residual beta cells in type 1 diabetes, yes. right? They're just not tremendously functional. Um, you know, some nice work by, you know, my colleague, Emily Sims, for example, you know, Carmela Evans, Molina, mm -hmm. Linda Meglio have shown that, you know, pro-insulin levels are higher in patients prior to the onset of type 1 diabetes. What does that tell you? I mean, I think it kind of tells you that what you've got left as the disease progresses are, you know, dysfunctional or maybe less, you know, of these sort of pacemaker beta cells, if you will. Right. And um, and so I, I think that that's what we might be seeing in in human type one diabetes is that the more we let these other cells go, uh, the less we get functional beta cells. And and those cells that that are going right are are the ones that may be releasing, you know, um, you know, autoantigens that, you know, get them targeted for uh, by the immune system. So, you know, it is that vicious cycle. And yeah, um, and when the stronger ones are the ones that are more, you know, leading the pack and insulin secretion sort of go by the wayside, then you get the resultant hyperglycemia, yeah. which further stresses them, correct? So it's 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 a loops. It is. The, it is that's exactly what it is. That's exactly what it is. And so, you know, I guess maybe, you know, the, the million dollar question is, you know, are these cells, you know, in a fixed state or are they in, you know, sort of transient states that we don't have the answer to? I, I don't have the answer to it. But, you know, there is a reason why that if the good beta cells have died off, the, you know, the less functional beta cells probably don't have a, a strong tendency to want to become the good guys because, you know, they may be targeted. So, you know, the reality is that there may be uh, pathways that suppress those beta cells from becoming more functional, uh, that become more active in those cells, because there is active cell-cell communication, right? Yes. Um, the island that's well documented. So um, I think really the the next phase, in my opinion, of you know type one diabetes research is going to be that islet microenvironment. I mean, we're talking about it right now, but I think this is really the hot area now. How are the beta cells communicating with one another, and how are they suppressing their differentiation states or their senescent states, or you know whatever you want to call them? Yeah, uh, Anil Bouchon and Peter Thompson would go for the senescent. Others, okay. others go for other things, uh, but yeah, that, that's fascinating. I love how you brought that um, full circle, you know, and really talked about the, the system, 
because it is really what that's what it, it's a physiological system. I wanted to open it up to other questions. There's several people out here. I see Erica out there too. I know Erica. Okay. Hi there, Erica. Uh, I don't know if anyone. Um, I'm I'm okay right now. I'm looking for your talk, Raku. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, so let me let me bring up you know this this other idea here, right? So we've talked about you know, the beta cell. And, you know, we promote very strongly the idea that, that beta cells, um, you know, may actually be leading to their own demise. But, the, you know, at the same time, that may be somewhat simplistic, right? Yeah, Because, um, you know, the immune, the immune component does play a role, right? And, and we know from, you know, uh, you know, genome-wide association studies that, you know, HLA, for example, is, is really critical in um, uh, the risk for type one diabetes. So, you know, I think that um, the way we have to be thinking about this is yes, the beta cells might be the bad guys and, and they may be complicit here, but that, you know, the immune system is not entirely innocent from our perspective either, right? Um, so there must be, um, you know, this combination of bad beta cells and bad immune systems, right? Yeah, they both need to be attacked. I mean, that's yeah. why, you know, Jeff Bluestone has his Sonoma bio going strong too, yeah. right? I mean, he wouldn't be doing that if there wasn't a, a you know, a case yeah. for it. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think it really does speak to the importance of thinking now about um, if we are gonna think about combination therapy, it may not be combinations of immune agents, but it could be a combination of immune agents and beta cell agents, for example, right? Um, and, and the other thing, you know, when you think about precision diabetes, type one diabetes um, uh, approaches is, you know, how, how might the disease differ by A, the stage at which people present or are presenting with the disease, and B, um, you know, other individual variations, you know, their, their, you know, life exposures and or their, um, you know, ethnic background or their other, uh, you know, genetic makeup uh, and, and, and which one might you want to think of targeting more than the other? Yeah. I mean, I think you have to, once there's a roadmap or an atlas for uh, the prodrome, I think that brings to bear all these things you're talking about and yeah. better understanding of them. And it does seem that the field is starting to drill down into the prodrome, you know, uh, companies like Provention and others are really highly targeted on that, um, that area. And I think there's gonna be a lot of, um, there's gonna be a lot of interesting work coming out to further define it, which will be helpful. And if, if you wanna start, you know, talking about extending remission or, you know, uh, stopping progression, things like that. Yep. Yep. If you, um, you know, when you talked about uh, the increase, of course, this is in mice, but the increase in the Tregs, you know, mm. I mean, how can um, how can that, you know, that along with the PDL, you know, piece, be um, further, you know, uh, honed in on in humans? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. You know, and, and people will point out, right, that, you know, these inhibitors of PDL1 or PD1, which are known as, you know, checkpoint inhibitors, yeah. um, probably don't cause type 1 diabetes as much as they cause other autoimmune endocrinopathies. And that's true. 
um, which is part of the reason why I say that there is a role for the immune system uh, or a deranged immune system in some way, right? That, that makes um, those individuals who, you know, are very reliant on PDL1 for suppression of autoimmunity more susceptible to type 1 diabetes. So um, uh, I think, therefore, it's still a small population. So what, what that means, I think, is we need to be thinking about, uh, again, you know, the heterogeneity of the disease and who might benefit from PDL1 type therapies, right? It would be great when you think of, you know, gene therapies, if you could, if you could get a lot more PDL1 into beta cells, specifically into beta cells, um, that would be a good thing, um, but not necessarily in everybody. And mm -hmm. so I think part yeah. of it is we just need to think a little bit about, you know, how the disease varies among humans, right? Between individuals. Yep. Dr. Wang, do you have a question? Yeah, very uh, great uh, work. And I really like the approach of focusing, uh, you focusing on the uh, eyelid, uh, I mean, the development of type 1 diabetes. So um, actually, I, I saw you also uh, mentioned on your last uh, slide, uh, I guess uh, the next uh, important question is like uh, um, with all these findings, um, um, how are you going to, um, like delivering these therapeutics to the eyelid beta cells. How yeah. how you gonna uh, target these cells? Uh, what what are your thoughts on this? I think that's I don't Sarah. Do you wanna do you wanna uh, attack that? You know I don't want to do all the talking here. <laughs> I so I, we have a couple different ideas, but um, one of them that is actively being published on re study right now is uh, attaching things to GLP-1. Um, they GLP-1 um, receptors are on the beta cell. And so if you if you have a conjugate that looks like GLP-1, it then combine and pull in. So we, we have, there's some companies out there that are, have um, RNAs that you can put in through this method. Um, and so we have a couple, that's one of the ways that people are doing it. There, um, there's yeah, I, also I, go ahead. No, I was going to say. I mean, I, I think targeted targeting approaches um, using you know a variety of you know lipid based nanoparticles uh, that you know encase either you know antisense oligos, siRNAs, or even you know mRNAs. Um, you know, that could be very specifically delivered by conjugating those particles to, you know, uh, peptides on the cell, uh, you know, that, that could be recognized on the beta cell surface, um, I think could be, you know, the next horizon, if you will, in um, targeted therapeutics. Um, different, as Sarah, you know, different people have different approaches to doing this. GLP-1 is one thing. But you know we are looking at other cell surface markers that appear to be specific to beta cells that could potentially be targeted uh, with appropriate peptide ligands, and I think that's really a, 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 a you know a new approach, a great approach. The other thing I think thing is uh, you know when you know we we're excited about what might be downstream of some of these inflammatory signaling pathways, and Sarah got into a little bit of this with. GPR31. So these G protein coupled receptors are ones that are kind of exciting and worth targeting. And they're not, you know, and they're typically cell specific. 
So, you know, they're not ubiquitous, you know, often like, you know, many other, uh, you know, uh, inflammatory pathways that we might want to target. So, um, you know, again, um, biologics such as monoclonal antibodies against specific GPCRs um, could be another um, really exciting avenue that could preferentially target beta cells. Great. Um, our group uh, welcome um, GLP-1 uh, receptor targeting um, yeah, as well. So we, we develop uh, accenting for um, conjugated uh, nanoparticles uh, for kind of, uh, we call it a theranostic approach. So we, we can uh, monitor these nanoparticles used in imaging uh, tours as well. So um, I would like to yeah, talk, talk about that um, with you, uh, I mean, maybe in a side uh, meeting uh, for, um, I mean, possibility for um, collaborations on this for delivery. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because the key is if you can get a good, you know, delivery vehicle, right? Then, um, you know, then there's a there's a lot of targets we're thinking about that you know kind of opens everything up, right? <laughs> and and that yeah. would be really uh, you know an exciting phase of research in in beta cell biology, right? Uh, I think that that would be especially exciting and much more amenable. Um, to doing beta cell related work as opposed to doing, you know, work on the immune system because, yeah. you know, uh, you know that, that that can really get you targeted to the to the specific cell. Yeah, um, the, you know, that kind of work that you're talking about also opens the door um, in other fields too. I mean, it gives information, it contributes to the knowledge base and other uh, pathways to autoimmunity. I think as well. Yeah, yeah, great. Um, Looking forward. Um, I would also I would also say yeah that's great I love to hear about collaborations forming here on sugar Sun. but, <laughs> but um, I also would say you know what's your uh, are, are you hiring postdocs are you looking for graduate students are you looking for trainees or collaborations because uh, if so now's the time to to shout that out and um, you know uh, we have uh, at this point thirty five thousand in our audience so you know, you might, you might get some interest. Yeah. Uh, look, I mean, we, um, we're always looking for great talent, you know, across the spectrum. Great. And so, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, we, you know, we have, you know, what I'm really excited about, you know, we've had high school students work in the lab. Um, you know, we've had undergraduates, we've had graduate students and, you know, we, we have the whole spectrum. So, um, I just want to get people, you know, excited about, you know, um, studying diabetes. I want to get people excited about endocrinology. I want to get people excited about, you know, maybe even becoming physician scientists. Um, although, you know, you know, just scientists studying diabetes is great. So, uh, you know, those are all things that I'm very passionate about. And I'm always open to anybody who um, you know, is especially talented and, and has potentially great ideas coming to me. That, that would be terrific. Fantastic shout out for talent. Yeah, it's, um, this has been such a pleasure. Your work is really fantastic, particularly this newest paper. Um, and I know you've been getting a lot of press about your work recently and accolades. So congratulations on that. 
And we really, um, we really look forward to, you know, what's coming next out of the laboratory, uh, both from both of you, um, because I think you're thinking about things in such a very um, cutting edge way and um, it shows. And so that's really, really fantastic. And thank you so much for joining and talking about this today. Thank you very much for yeah. having us. Yes, thank you for having us. It was a, a you No, know, it was a pleasure too. Have a great rest of your day, everyone. Bye. Okay. Yeah.